How's everybody doing? Are we good? Awesome. Thank you, Lord. So Mark chapter 4, we're going to start, um, we're going to read a bit, but before we get there, I just want to say a few things. Um, Mark chapter 4, we're going to start off in verse 35 to the end of the chapter. You know, in Romans 16.20, it says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I find this scripture amazing because there's so much that we know about God and he has so many names that reflect his character, who he is, his heart, the things that we learn about him just through understanding his name. And Paul could have used any term there. He could have said the God of all faith. He could have said God of love. He could have said... um, you know, a number of things. The, God, the healing God, he could have said, any term that we use for God, you, God's got a whole list of names that he gave Moses, um, and he could have used any of them, but he said the God of peace. Why is that? Well, here's what I want to suggest to you. Romans 14, 17 says, The kingdom of God is not mere eating and drinking, but is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You know what a linchpin is? Gather. A linchpin is? That's right. It holds a number of things together. A linchpin holds a bunch of stuff together. When you lose the linchpin or you pull the linchpin out, all of a sudden everything that was connected to it's gone. Okay, I want to say to us today that there are certain linchpins that we must have in order to maintain the things that are meant to be held together. All right, a linchpin. Let's start off in Romans 14. I'm getting to I'm getting to Mark, so just hold your hold your place there. But Mark Romans 14:17. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. I want to say to you that it is impossible to have joy while not having any peace. Can you think of any situation in your life or throughout your history of your life where you had incredible joy, overflowing, abundant joy while your peace is totally gone? (laughs) Anybody want to raise their hand and say they've experienced joy without peace? I don't know how you can. When, it is of my opinion that when your peace is gone, your joy is gone. I can't think of anything in my life where I'm like really, really happy, full of the joy of the Lord, while there's a turmoil inside my heart, right? That's why, to me, peace is a linchpin to joy, well, just to this isn't my, my this isn't my message, but I believe the order of that verse is important. You can't have peace without righteousness. You can't be at peace if you're not at peace with Him who's called us unto righteousness. So if we're living in sin and we're doing things that we know we shouldn't be doing, he that knoweth to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. When we're doing things that we shouldn't be doing, it's impossible to be in peace. 
And, if, and so we, there's an order of things. When we have his righteousness, when we're in right standing with him, we're not holding anything back from him. We have his righteousness. And when we are in his righteousness, then we're in his peace. And then when we're in his peace, we can have joy. But I want to talk to us today about peace because I think this is going to be a very important word for us. I think the Lord has already clearly set, set this up. Uh, so if you will, if you're not already there, Mark 4, 35. On that day when evening came, he said to them, let us go over to the other side. Well, he, they're, they're referencing Jesus. Jesus said, let, let's go over to the other side. In verse 36, leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. So here we got Jesus. He's in the boat with his disciples, and there's a bunch of other boats with him, and he says to them all, let's go to the other side. All right, so verse 37, and there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Okay, so they're in a storm. How many has ever been on a, in a storm on the sea? Ray, Ray Lee, the Navy man, has. It ain't fun, is it? <laughs> It's not a fun thing to be in a stormy sea when you're in the sea. So they're experiencing this. And Jesus is just like this. I don't know, but verse 38. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? <laughs> oh, that's funny to me. And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who is then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Everything obeys him. Everything will ultimately obey him. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the Father. All creation is going to obey him. Um, I think there's some humorous things in this, uh, but I think there's a great message here that we can apply to our own lives, and I think it's important because, you know, first of all, if you live long enough, you're going to go through some storms, the storms of life. You can't get out of it that you're going to go through some things that are not pleasant. It's life. So it's important that going through those storms, you got Jesus in the boat with you. Because if you don't have Jesus in the boat and you go through those storms, whoa, I, I feel sorry for you. I want Jesus in my boat. But I want to say to us that um, it is very important that in the times that we live, that we learn to manage our peace. And why do I say manage? Because it's management. Holding on to peace is going to be key. Peace or the lack of peace is a decision. It's a decision. It's a discipline. Okay? Now, I'm going to talk to you in the end of the sermon about the discipline, like what it is. Exactly. But I just want to make a note that it's a decision. 
And we all get to make that decision. But in the times that we're living, that decision is going to be very, very, very important because the, t- the difficulties of the things that this generation is going to have to walk through, um, it's going to be very essential that we walk in this. Not as a struggle, but as a, a way of life. And it's really not going to be... It's not, a, it's not a work of the flesh. It's not us trying hard. It's going, to be, it's going to be something that's very grace, full of grace, that we walk in this peace, this supernatural peace that God wants us to have. So first thing that's wonderful about this story is that Jesus had already told them, he said, let's go to the other side. I mean, Jesus, had he been wrong up to this point about anything he said? No, he said, let's go to the other side. But what happens is anytime Jesus tries to take you to the other side, what happens? (laughs) You're going to get into a storm. That's just the way it is. Jesus says, I want to take you to someplace new. And you're going to have to face an obstacle in the process of getting to this new place that Jesus wants to take us to. How many want a new place in your life? Okay. To cross over, you got to cross through the storm. If you're not willing to cross through the storm, you're not going to make it to the other side. But the wonderful thing is, is that the Lord said, let's go over to the other side. If we know that he really does mean what he says and knows what he says and can accomplish what he says, then we can have peace in the storm that even though we're going through a storm, we will make it to the other side. We're going to, because he's faithful. He is good. He is faithful. He's our God. He's not a man that he should lie. This is my God tells the truth. He doesn't have to lie. There's nothing above him. When he says it, he means it, and it's going to happen. All right? So that's the first thing. Second thing is recognizing that Jesus was in their boat asleep on the cushion. You ever feel like you're going through a storm and you're like, man, where is the Lord at? I've been through that. It's like, Lord, are you asleep? Good gosh. Come on. I could use a word or something. Please help out here. I'm going through something and I don't know where you're at. Sometimes Jesus is asleep on you. (laughs) You know, when Jesus is asleep, we know Jesus doesn't sleep. But it's like, this, it's like the Syrophoenician woman when she came to Jesus. She's crying out, you know, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. And Jesus is being quiet. And the disciples are all like, you know, Lord, tell her to shut up. And he's just saying, well, I've only come to the lost uh, sheep of the house of Israel. He's telling the disciples this. And, and so she comes even closer and she's crying out loudly, Lord, have mercy on me. And she comes up to him and he says, well, you know, this Syrophoenician woman, just so you understand, this Syrophoenician woman was, a, from, a, um, was from a race of people that worshipped other gods. Okay, They were not Jews. They were not worshipers of Yahweh. They were not worshipers of the, of the great I Am. They weren't worshipers of the, of the Creator. They were worshiping, worshiping other gods. But this one woman came to Jesus 
probably because she saw and heard all the amazing things that he did. And she comes up to him, and, she, and Jesus won't answer her a word. But what does she do? She keeps coming. She keeps coming. Jesus is quiet. You ever had Jesus quiet in your life? But this lady keeps coming. She's not taking no for an answer. And she comes up to Jesus, and Jesus said, it's not good to give the children's bread to the dogs. Can you imagine having the Lord speak that to you? But what was her response? Even the dogs feed on the crumbs that fall from the, from the, the table. And, he, and Jesus is blown away. He's like, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you have believed. I'm telling you guys, there's a time in our lives that we cannot take silence as a no. Jesus wants to bring us past that place. He wants us to share in the faith that he had that created all the world. And he's called us up into faith. And faith doesn't take no for an answer. It doesn't. And so he comes to the, he, she comes to him and he says, great is your faith. It's going to be done for you because you have not taken no for an answer. And I'm going to tell you guys that sometimes Jesus is quiet and we think he's asleep. But we need to wake him up. The disciples in this situation, they awoke Jesus. And you know how you do that? You know how you wake Jesus up in your life? He's in our boat, right? If you've been born again, Jesus is in your vessel. If you've been born again, if you've cried out to the Lord Jesus, said, Lord, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. You took my place. You rose again from the dead. And I surrender my heart and my life to you. When the moment you turn to him in your heart and believe, the Spirit of God comes inside your spirit and you're now born from above. You're born again. If you've never experienced that, Jesus said very clearly, unless you are born again, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have to be born again. That's when we transfer our faith from us and our ability to save ourselves and we transfer to the one who did it all for us on the cross. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When you're born again, you now have the Spirit of God living inside your spirit. That means Jesus is in your boat. He's in your vessel. So sometimes you have to wake him up. So how do you do What am I mean? All right. This is what I mean. You're going through it. You're in the storm. You see the winds and the waves. And what happens when you're in, you see the winds and the waves? It's the same thing with Peter. When Peter was in the storm with Jesus and, and the, the Lord's walking on water, y'all know the story? And Peter cries. Everybody's, all the disciples are crying out in fear. And they, he looks out to Jesus and he says, if it's you, Lord, tell me to come here. He didn't give him much of an option. So the Lord said, well, it's me. Come on. <laughs> you know, and he steps out. And what happens? He begins to walk on water just like Jesus was because he was looking to the Lord. But the scripture is very clear that when Peter began to look at the wind and the waves around him, he began to sink. And I want to tell you that it's the same for all of us in all of our lives when we get distracted from his face to start looking at the storms around us. We will sink. We will. It's just because we can't walk on water. And really, Peter didn't walk on water. He walked on the Lord's word to come. We walk on his word. 
And so what happens is when Peter began to look at the wind and the waves and the sea and the storms, he got distracted from the one that's bigger than the wind and the waves and the seas and the storms, and he began to sink. So what happens to us? We're, we're going through life, and we're sitting along, and we're starting to, and I'm going through, I'm preaching to myself, guys. I'm going through some things myself. And we're going through life, and we're like, whoa, hold on a minute. Man, look at those bills. They are racking up, and I have no income coming in. Man, this is serious. Hey, Lord, you asleep up there? I've been talking to you for all year. What's going on? You going to do something? Hey, Lord, what's up? Well, what's happening is I'm focused on the problem. Might be, for some of us, it might be we're fighting cancer or we're fighting a, a sickness or we're, we got a kid that's strayed and is really in a bad place. That's probably worse than anything you can go through right there because as a parent, man, you love your kids. To see your kids struggling and going through stuff, oh my goodness, Lord help us. Father, spare me from that, man. I want my kids walking with Jesus. Um, but when we're in those places, the temptation is to look at the problem. And when we look at the problem... We're not, we don't want to deny the problem. What we want to do is to see the one who's bigger than the problem. When we see the one bigger than the problem, then we can have, then the little problem, which may be big, becomes little compared to the one we're looking at. And the way we wake up Jesus is, you know what, sometimes you just got to get out the Word of God and you got to start walking around your house and quoting Scripture. Sometimes you got to take out the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and start using it. You know, you got, there's so many problems that we go through in life that the answers are right here. But we don't know how to battle. And so we sit there and we allow the waves to wash over us and to get our brains beat out when we should have got up and started speaking the Word. You know, you're going through sickness. Get out. By His stripes, we were healed. Forget not none of his benefits. He forgives all my iniquities. He heals all my diseases. That's who you are. God, you're a healer. Oh, my goodness. You're my healer. My God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. See, we have promises that we can pull out and begin to remind ourselves of who Jesus is. And that's what I mean when I'm talking about waking Jesus up inside of us. Christ in you. Wake him up. Start reminding yourself about the reality of who he is. And when you begin to get in the word and begin to look at him and begin to see him, your eyes get shifted from the problem to the problem solver. And the problem solver is a whole lot bigger than the problem. I can promise you. I don't care what anybody's facing. And I've heard some horrific problems. But I don't care what you're facing, Jesus is bigger. He's bigger. He's bigger. I don't care what it is. Your, your problem and what you're going through is not bigger than Jesus. It's like what Paul or what the Josh said. He, he was talking about up here, he was talking about having comfort knowing that Jesus is our king. There's comfort in knowing there's no one higher than him. He's Lord of all. Our problems are little things compared to him. So we got to wake him up. we got to get the word out. we got to stir ourselves up in our most holy faith. Next thing I want to look at real quick, verse 39. And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. 
and the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. That word hush, it's a cool word. I like it. Hush. You know, sometimes you, you know, our vernacular, we might say shut up or be quiet. Um, the King James translates that peace, be still. You might be more familiar with that where you, you, in that story, peace, be still. What is Jesus saying? Peace, be still. I'm talking about peace. Sometimes you have to, you have to get into silence. Some to be still and know that I am God. Sometimes much of our problems and our lack of peace is a result of not being still before the Lord. When your mind is revved up all the time, going, 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 our mind has a tendency to think all the time. You know that? It just wants to, you, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. When you're laying in bed at nights and you can't get your mind to shut up, you can't sleep because your mind's racing. Come on. Somebody, I mean, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Okay. We have got to learn how to quiet our soul, like Psalm says. Scripture says, David talking in the Psalms, he said, I quieted my soul. We have to tell that storm to shut up. The Lord's talked a lot to me about this. I remember one time um, I, I came home from work, and I was working so much. I'd, I'd get up. I had to be at work at 7. I usually get off between 3 and 4. And then three days a week, I would leave from work straight to go to school because I was studying uh, construction at, while I was doing construction. And then I would get home somewhere about 10, 30, 11 at night. And I remember getting in the shower, and I'm in the shower washing my hair and, you know, doing what you do in the shower. And I'm, but I'm thinking. My mind's racing. You know, I'm thinking about tomorrow and the stuff I got to do. And I started having a series of the Lord dealing with me, and he said, cut that out. Cut what out? What you're, what you're doing right now, though while it's not wrong in of itself, it's illegal. Because this time that you have right now is supposed to be on me and on your family, not on tomorrow's work. And he started addressing to me the importance of managing my thought life. Isn't there some scriptures about that somewhere? Taking captive every thought into the obedience of Christ. And we think that just means take captive all our negative thoughts, all our bad thoughts. But I'm telling you, it's not about bad thoughts. It's, that's certainly true. It's about managing your thought life so that you don't allow your thought life to rule you. So that when you can properly uh, departmentalize, help me, I, was, I didn't do that good. Somebody say that for me. <laughs> Department, one at a time. <laughs> anyway, you know what I mean. You got you to you gotta keep things in little rooms. You know, like when you wake up in the morning, get with Jesus. Get with him. Spend time with him. Don't allow yourself to think about what you need to think about in a couple hours. Because if you don't, you're going to allow what you need to do in a few hours to steal from the time that you're supposed to be doing with him. And the same thing's true as when you're spending time with your family. If it's, if it's time with your family, put your phone down. Just saying. Prioritize your thoughts or your thoughts will run you ragged and it will kill you. There's people that die, I'm telling you, of anxiety that come directly from the result of your thought life being out of control. 
Not because it's bad, but because you're constantly revved up thinking, 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 and that'll kill you. It'll kill you. God didn't design us that way. That's why he made a Sabbath. Not that we're under the law. We're not, but the principle is the same. We need to learn to rest. And rest is taking captive our thoughts so that we can actually be at rest so that when I'm spending time with Jesus or I'm just being still, got nothing going through my head. I'm just relaxed. There's nothing to stealing from my, my moment of peace. Because that moment of peace is a refuel. I'm refueling. And if I don't get the fuel that I need, then those, then those problems that I'm going to have to deal with in a little bit, I'm not going to have the energy or the fuel that it takes to deal with those things because I've been stolen from in the time that I'm refueling. Yep, does that make sense? It's very important. So we have to learn how to do what Jesus did and say, hush, be quiet, shut up, be still. And you have to go through this discipline because it is a discipline. You learn how to do this. I've been doing this for, well, I'm almost 50. I'm getting close. Not quite as old as Vic, but I'm getting there. Uh, (laughs) uh, And for all of my adult life, I've been learning this process of, of, all right, Okay, I'm trying to spend time with Jesus, but I got all these to-do lists that mysteriously pop up right now when I'm trying to hang out with the Lord. It's so amazing the important things that have to be done right now that I didn't think about at any of the rest of the day yesterday or any time later today. I'm not going to think about it because I know from history, but right now, all of a sudden, I have clarity to know every single thing that I have to do that I need to go get on right now. It's a thief. It's a robber. It's Martha trying to steal Mary. But what did Jesus say to Mary? She has chosen the best part, and it shall not be taken from her. We need to make sure that it's not taken from us either. we got to put Jesus first. got to put that time first. We have got to learn to get our minds still. It'll mess you up. And the Lord will help you with that. So we, we need to learn how to... Now, the next thing that I want to talk about in the storms... After we're doing these things, we're, we're getting back in the Word, we're spending time acknowledging what the Lord says about a situation so that we're exalting Him to be the bigger than the problem because we're seeing Him because we're looking at Him in His Word and we're telling the, our, our mind to be still and stop trying to fix all the problems in us and the world and our neighbor and everybody else and let God be God. But the, one of the most important things, and this is the linchpin that I'm talking about, when you lose your peace... You will lose your joy. You have to have both. You can't have joy without peace. And what ends up happening is when we're going through the storm, it is imperative that we keep the storm out of the boat. The boat will go through the storm, but if the storm gets in the boat, then we're in trouble. And what I mean by that and what I'm talking about is when we're going through difficult things and we're going through problems, when we lose that linchpin of peace, all of a sudden the storm's got inside of us and now we're being tossed and t- tossed to and fro by the storm of the anxiety and the, and the, and the incredible um, winds and waves of the things that we're dealing with just kicking our butt on the inside. And that will happen every time you let go of your peace. So you got to keep the storm from getting inside of you. You can go through anything and be okay as long as that thing doesn't get inside your heart. 
You know what I mean? When it becomes so big that it's robbed you of your peace, you're in trouble. You better run to Jesus and say, Lord, help me. I'm in trouble. This thing's done got inside me. I'm done worrying and I'm sick and I'm just sick of worrying and I got this thing going on inside of me. I need some help, Jesus. And he'll help you. He'll help you. Now, I got a cool little story I want to tell us. This is a true story. How many know John Wesley? Know John Wesley. I think he, was, he started the Methodist church. Um, this story, I think, is going to be key for us in the times that we live. You know, um, in Luke 21, 26, it says, Men's hearts will fail them for fear of the things coming upon the earth. We're about to live through some things that, you know, you're going to see in the world men and women just absolutely terrified at what's coming on the earth. Jesus made it clear. When you look at the context of Luke 21, it's a lot of craziness going on in the world. Reread it. I encourage you. Luke 21. Luke 21 and Matthew 24, they go hand in hand. They're basically the same passages, but you get different insights from them. And it has to do with the end times and really the process of, of from the Lord's time on to the end time. There's, there's a process in there. It's not just the end times, but it's, it's the history. But there are things that culminate at the end that he makes very clear are dark days in some ways. But the wonderful thing about God is that we know, according to Isaiah 60, when darkness covers the earth and deep darkness the people, God's glory is arising on us and it's appearing inside of us, and the nations are going to stream to our light. It's then the darkness that we shine that the Lord, there's going to be a distinction like Goshen and Egypt, and they're going to be like, what's going on? We're having all these plagues and looking over these people of God, and they're in, they got light when we got darkness. They got food to eat, and we don't. What's going on? Well, this is an amazing story. Uh, I believe, let's see, I think it was, um, I meant to write this down. I want to say it was 1736, I believe, is when this was. If there's a better historian in here, please speak up. But in 1736, uh, John Wesley got onto a boat with a bunch of Moravian believers, Moravian Christians, German Christians that were called Moravians. And they were coming here to, to preach the gospel and to have a place for the gospel to bear fruit in, our, in this new land that had opened up. And during their, their journey from uh, Europe to the United States, well, you know, North America at the time, and on their way, their mast breaks because they were in a, such a bad storm. Well, right prior to this mast breaking, they're actually having service down below in the, church, in, the, in the big boat. And so they're having service. They're singing praises to God. John Wesley is among them, though he's not a Moravian. And then there were a bunch of English sailors that were there uh, who were not Christians at all. And this storm comes upon them while they're worshiping, and the mass breaks, it comes down, it falls on the ship, water starts to flood the ship. And John Wesley is watching as all the Moravians, including their children, continue to just worship the Lord and stay in a total place of peace while the Englishmen start freaking out. Man, we're dying. You know, it's like they're, and he's watching this and he's starting to get really afraid, but he's awestruck at the peace 
that the Moravians were, distrib- were you know, showing. They're, they were in certain... You know, it was serious what was going on. It ain't like today. You're not calling, you know, Coast Guard. You know, you're in a, you're in a boat that has a mast that has a, a sail on it that's taking you to where you go, and this thing just broke, and it knocked a hole in the ship, and water's coming in, and you're in the middle of the ocean, and there's no rescue. You're in trouble. But the Moravians were sitting there just worshiping the Lord. It didn't even stop them. And it struck them. And he, he, he was convinced at that point that he didn't even know the Lord. He was coming over here to be a missionary. And he was so struck by their peace that he, he determined he didn't even know the Lord. Because he ended up talking to some of them. And he said, what's going on? And they was like, well, what do you mean, God? We're not afraid to die. Why, why, why would we be afraid to die? We got the greatest hope of, I mean... Everybody's going to die. Why would we be afraid to die? We're in God's hands. If it's, his, if it's our day, we're going. And if it's not, we're going to make it. So no worries. Either way, we're going to be okay. And that was so instilled inside of them. Hebrews 2.15. Talking about what the Lord done did. It says, And he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Do you know that if you're afraid of dying, you're in slavery? And as believers, we're supposed to be free from the fear of death. Now, that's a grace work, but I want to tell you how we can get there. The distinction that John Wesley saw between those that didn't know God and those that did know God convinced him of the reality of something that even though he was going to be a missionary for, he, it convinced him of such a reality that he didn't even have. And it caused him to seek God on another level. And he said he got born again because of that result. And he was coming here to be a missionary. It's crazy. I want to tell you that the world is about to freak out. We're already starting to see it. But they're going to be looking for some people who have peace in the midst of a storm. They're going to be looking for some people that have hope, that have something to them that's real, that's a reality, that's an anchor to the soul when we go through some storms. And that's you guys. So here's the catch. Now, we're running out of time. So I'm not going to keep going a lot deeper like I thought I was, might would, but I want to get us to the, the answer in this. And so I'm going to reference some scriptures. Um, you can go and look at it, when you, but in, we know that the children of Israel, when they came into um, through the desert, they came to the promised land the first time, and God was going to give them the land. They turned back, and they were full of fear. After seeing God do so much amazing things, they, they turned back in fear. And when they, the Lord had sent in, we know the Lord sent in the spies, 12 spies for each tribe of, the, of Israel. And they all came in. They brought fruit back from the promised land that was amazing. But there was only two people that gave a good report, and there were 10 that said a bad report, meaning that God, that they were complaining about we shouldn't try to take this land because, and then they list their reasons. I want to read this. This is Numbers thirteen thirty three. If you're not familiar with it, please just read it. 
um, in Numbers 13, but this is what they say. These are the ones that are giving the bad report. There also was, we saw Nephilim, the sons of the Anakin, part of the Nephilim. Now, those were giants. I don't want to go deep into what the Nephilim are right now. I've talked about it before. We can talk about it if you have questions. But just to make it simple today, Nephilim were huge. They were not normal-sized people. They were huge giants. And yes, I believe there were literal giants in the earth. I believe the Bible is true and it's literal. And this is what they say. They, are, they also, we saw Nephilim, the sons of the Anakin, part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Their fear, the storm had gotten inside of them. You know, Caleb and Joshua, they saw the same thing these guys is, did, but they saw God was bigger than these giants. See, giants do look big if you're... If you're looking to yourself if you got to fix it if, if we're depending on our own strength we're in trouble and we should be afraid but when we see God the way Joshua and Caleb saw God we see there's nothing bigger in him and these giants seem small in comparison to him so why should we be afraid I don't have to make this happen he's going to make it happen it shows that they trusted him and it shows that these people did trusted in themselves do you see the distinction a lack of peace is usually directly related to us trusting ourselves to solve a problem more than trusting God to make a way. And that's the problem with the lack of peace is we are so prone to try to fix our own problems. And God doesn't want us to do that. He wants us to have such a confidence in His ability to do beyond which we could ask or think that we have faith to see a God that's bigger, to see the answer to the problem. And so because of it, the children of Israel had to spend another 38 years in the, in the desert until all those generations that were full of doubt and unbelief died because it's faith that takes you into the land. So here's the answer, and here's what I'm wanting to, to, to point out. Um, and we've already said it, but I'm just going to say it again. The only way we can have peace in what's coming, and, and no matter what storm you're coming, is to have vision of Jesus. You have to see him. You have to see God as bigger. And how do you do that? You know, 1 John 3, 2, um, 2 Corinthians 3, 18 talks about how when we behold the glory of the Lord as in a, as in a mirror, we are changed into that same glory, that same image from glory to glory. When we behold the Lord with the eyes of our heart, we are transformed into to that image. You become what you look at. So, uh, I mentioned 1 John 3, 2. Let's see if I can turn over there. Um, 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. When we see him as he is, we're transformed into that image. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Seeing Jesus makes us like him. It cleans us up. It purifies us. 2 Corinthians 3.18, same thing. We're changed when we see him. 
And that's why Paul prayed in Ephesians 1.7. He's praying for the church. He says that the Lord would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation into the knowledge of him. Because when the eyes of our heart open up and we start seeing him the way he really is, we're not just seeing him mentally right here, but we're getting revelation of who God is, who is the Son of God. It becomes something different just than a head game or a head knowledge or answering the right answer on a test. It becomes something real and alive inside of you that changes the, every way that you live because you're living from a new reality, and it's the reality of seeing God as he is, seeing the Son of God as he is. But when we allow ourselves to look at the wind and the waves and get our eyes off the one, that spirit of wisdom and revelation to the knowledge of him, then we're going to sink just like Peter did. But when we keep our eyes with that spirit of wisdom and revelation into the knowledge of him, when we begin to see him by the spirit and the eyes of our heart open up, then you will start living, overcoming. You will have peace in the storm. You will go through the storms without the storms getting in you. So the answer, as the answer is to everything in this life, let's see Jesus. <laughs> it's that simple. It is that simple. Let's see Jesus. You need a healer. See Jesus the healer. You need a financier. See Jesus who provides all your needs. You need a child to return. See the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to go grab the one. We have to see Jesus. When the veils of our heart are pulled off and we can see him as he is, we are transformed and we're no longer living by a, a mental thought or a mental agreement, but there's a reality that's much deeper. Like when the Lord said to P Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Who am I? Who am I? He asked Peter, who am I? He says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Blessed are you. Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. We need revelation of who he is, and we will ride out every storm in the peace that God's called us to have. And so that's my prayer for us today. I'm going to pray it right now. Lord, I'm asking for grace to see you better. Give us, a, as a church, as a people, the spirit of wisdom and revelation into the knowledge of who you are. Because if we see you as you are, there is nothing greater. There is nothing bigger. There's nothing above you. So what are these little problems that we're dealing with? Cancer's little to Jesus. Finances that don't seem to be coming, they're little to Jesus. Children gone astray, that's a little thing for Jesus. So, Lord, we want to see you today. We want to see you, Lord. Guys, I'm encouraging you. If you begin to find yourself, and we all do this because we are flesh. If you begin to find yourself in a place to where you are struggling with some things, ask the Lord to help you see him as he is in this situation. It will change. Ask for revelation into who he is. We all, just like Peter, sometimes get distracted by the winds and the waves. But ask for the grace to, to turn our eyes 
back on Jesus. Turn your eyes back on Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light, glory, and grace. That is the answer. Lord, turn our eyes to you, Lord. Let us see you, Jesus. If there's people in here that don't know the Lord like that, and they want to, he is such a sweet, amazing Savior. And he loves you. And he paid a great price to have your sins washed away that you could live with him for eternity. If you don't know the Lord and you want to, I'm asking you just to come up here and sit down in this chair and I want to pray with you after church. Jesus loves you. He wants people to know him.